Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to the Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the ball! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est le You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. It's going to be sick. It is the sick podcast on this um, Wednesday, May 3rd. It is one minute past 10 p.m. And we are live on YouTube, we're live on Facebook, and we are live on Twitter. And, of course, the SICK Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different, and brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB, embrace your true nature. We have a lot to talk about today, that is uh, for sure. And tonight, we're going to get to it. Uh, let's see if we can get a hold of our guy, Stu Cowan, is usually a regular on Friday nights. Stu, how are you? I'm doing well, Tony. How are you? Very, very well. I hear you a little bit staticky. Do you hear me well? I hear you very well. You hear me very well. Okay, so not so sure why I'm hearing you staticky, uh, but I am. Okay. Uh, let's just see from uh, Agnello and Sammy at Master Control. Uh, can you guys hear Stu well, or it's just me that's not hearing him all that well? Okay, they're going to let me know. We're going to find out here. Hold on a second. What's going on? Yes, okay, they can hear you well. So it's probably something uh, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. Hey, Stu, um, I saw your piece on uh, on Mitch Garber in the Montreal Gazette, of course, HockeyInsideOut.com. Montrealer Mitch Garber, who's a minority owner with the Seattle Kraken. I thought it was a great piece. You and I are going to dive into that a little bit later, Okay. Uh, but before we do, there's uh, I can hear you a lot better now. Fantastic. Technology. That's just the way it is sometimes. Uh, but before we do, Jeff Molson, uh, I want to get to this because uh, a rare appearance by Jeff Molson, and every time he makes an appearance, it's always a lot of fun. He was part of a presser that was held at the uh, University of Montreal's Center for Physical Education and Sports. And uh, a beautiful thing, it was announced, a donation of a million dollars from the Blanc Family Foundation to the tennis program of the University of Montreal. So, because Jeff Molson was there, members of the media were there, and because members of the media were there, of course, they asked Jeff Molson questions about the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, several questions were asked. Uh, I, I think we have about uh, three or four audio clips. Let's get to them right now. Uh, ils ont très bien joué, puis l'année uh, prochaine, c'est une autre année uh, d'expérience qu'ils ont. Et uh, je pense même pour eux, les attentes vont être plus élevées, c'est sûr. All right, there you have it. Um, Jeff Molson saying that uh, the uh, young players who played, he said he thought they played well. 
and um, while they were healthy. But of course, uh, it's it's a big year of experience. And next year, they're looking forward to many good things, of course. And uh, there's going to be more that's going to be expected uh, of them. Um, if he was talking about one or two young players in particular, who do you think he was talking about? That's a good question. I mean, Cole Caulfield won. Um, you look at the five rookies on defense. Uh, there were so many young players who played this year. Raphael Harvey-Penard, it's hard to single out one or two. But he's right. I mean, as each year of this rebuild continues, the pressure will get greater, not only on the players, but on the coaches and on the GM and on management and on Jeff Molson. But uh, with so many young players on the team, it's hard to pick out one or two. But the key young guys moving forward are Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. So those are the two guys that I think the most pressure will be on next season. Uh, to see if they can continue to build on what they have this season. Obviously, Cole missed uh, a lot of time with the shoulder injury. It'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that. Uh, but when you look back at this season, it really is incredible how many young guys played. And, you know, a guy like Raphael Harvey Pinard, who would have never got an opportunity this year if the Canes didn't lose 751 games or whatever it was, uh, man games to injuries, and made the most of his opportunity. A lot of the young guys did. So next year, um, you know, the sophomore jinx is one of those things, you know, in sports. Uh, all the guys who played well this season in their first season, some of them won't play as well next season. And you hope some of them will play better. Um, but to single out one or two is kind of difficult with so many young guys that played this year, so many rookies. Hey, Stu, about a year ago, you were a regular contributor on uh, Brunching with Marinaro, of course. It was a show that we would have going live on Sunday mornings, if I can remember. I think it was, it was around at 11 o'clock. It still left an impression. Uh, biggest Habs fan in the Big Smoke says, Stu Cowan is my favorite collaborator. Bring back brunching with Marinero. Stu, <laughs> uh, you know, we can't well, even you. have Sundays off, Stu. We can't even have Sundays <laughs> off. Well, you know what? I learned early in this business, uh, Ian McDonald, who sadly has passed away a few years ago, but covered the Expos for years and years at the Gazette. And he uh, gave me great advice when I was young. He said, if you want to work nine to five, Monday to Friday, go work in a bank. <laughs> Sports are seven days a week. 24-7, and uh, that's the reality of this business. You know, uh, Stu has a, a beautiful pool at his place in, in Brassard. He's got a, he's got a beautiful deck. Uh, he's got a really, really, really nice pool. He's got the barbecue going in the summer. And at one point, I felt a little bit guilty, you know? And so I said, no, no, we're going to have to do this whole Monday to Friday thing. We're going to take Sundays off. But, you know, you never say never. It was a very popular show, and who knows? We might just bring it back, and who knows? We might just deliver a real big surprise for next year as well and next hockey season. Uh, we haven't stopped talking Montreal Canadiens, and we will continue to talk Montreal Canadiens. By the way, Stu, yesterday uh, there was talk around yesterday afternoon, there was talk that the NHL draft lottery, which was announced uh, a couple of months ago that it was going to be on Monday night, there was talk, I don't know if you had heard this, that there was a slim possibility that it could have been moved to Tuesday night. Did you hear that? I didn't, but I've been out there. I was out for dinner, so I might okay. have missed that. Well, that's okay, but it was announced late last night that actually... Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't see that then, no. It was announced late last night that the uh, the lottery will stay Monday, so it's okay. going to be Monday, and it's going to be Monday at 8 p.m., by the way. Monday at 8 p.m. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised. I mean, those dates are usually set in stone for television reasons and whatnot, so I'd be very surprised if that would have been changed. Yeah, I but I, I think because of television reasons, I think they were planning on going at 7. They decided to go to 8. I don't know exactly what happened. 
But have you seen something, uh, you know, we're talking about the draft lottery. You noticed what's going on with the uh, draft in Nashville on June uh, 28th and June 29th? What's that? Have you realized which day the 28th falls on? Uh, I haven't looked that closely at my calendar. I know it's okay. in Nashville, my favorite okay. NHL city. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or will you be going? I don't know at this point. I'm not certain. Okay. All right. I hope so. So, so when does the draft usually take place? Friday night, Saturday morning. I mean, as far as I can recall, it's been that way for a very, very, very long time. Has it not? It has been, yeah. Yeah, well, guess what? It's going Wednesday night and Thursday night. Wednesday night and Thursday night, June 28th and 29th in Nashville at 7 p.m. Eastern. Wednesday night and Thursday night. Well, TV rules everything in sports, so I'd imagine that's the reason for that. Um, I guess there are better nights, better they figure they get a better audience for those two nights. So that would uh, set TV rules when it comes to when games start, uh, when games are played, and whatnot. So I'm sure that's the reason. Yeah, no, uh, I would imagine. I would imagine it is. Yes, it is the sick podcast, and uh, a shout out to XL Moto. They carry most motorcycle and scooter brands on the market. They have a vast inventory of parts and accessories, and their technicians and service advisors are all highly trained. Excel Moto, your ultimate destination and best customer service for me, your only place in the city of Montreal to pick up a Piaggio or a Vespa scooter. ExcelMoto.com, 5480 Rue Paré. Go see my boys, Ali and Vito, and you can give them a call at 514-738-6686. Okay, Uh, Jeff Molson, you heard him talking about the young players. He had more comments. Let's hear from Jeff Molson earlier today. Avec autant de blessures que ça, et euh, il faut, je pense que Jeff et, euh, et Kent l'ont dit, euh, il faut absolument qu'on regarde tous les, euh, un peu partout pour voir comment on peut être plus en santé comme équipe. All right, uh, Jeff Molson says, uh, you know, we Jeff and Kent are going to exhaust. They're going to they're going to do their inquiry. They're going to take a look at everything. But we have to find out what we can do to be healthier as a team, Stu. Uh, number one this year in man games lost. That's usually not a category that you want to lead the National Hockey League in, but uh, it was the case. Number one in the league. And if you go back to last year, uh, I believe I read somewhere that if you take this year and you take last year, uh, it's a record in the history of the National Hockey League for the most man games lost over two seasons. Well, you know, injuries are part of the game. The game's faster, quicker, more guys are getting hurt, they're getting bigger. The, the concern is, you know, Josh Anderson crashes into the goalpost, feet first, has a high ankle sprain. There's no medical, there's nothing that's going to prevent that. That just happens. Uh, you know, Caden Gooley, somebody falls on his knee. The same thing happened with Slavkovsky. Those are just part of the game and they're unlucky. The thing that's concerning is how many guys that the Canadians came back from injuries and then were re-injured again with the same injury or another injury with Sean Monaghan. You know, when Sean Monaghan was played four or five games there on a broken foot, which led to his groin injury. I remember, I think it was at the mid-season news conference with Kent Hughes, and I asked him, is there any correlation between him playing on a broken foot? And we didn't know what the other injury was at the time and the other injury. He didn't say yes, he didn't say no, he sort of skated around it. 
But if you know about your body, if you're if you're, if you're compensating for one injury, you, another part of your body is is paying the price. And at the end of the season, Monahan said, "Yeah, the groin injury I had was the result of." playing on a broken foot for so long and compensating. So things like that, you know, Brendan Gallagher breaks his ankle, plays on it, takes some time off, comes back and breaks it again. Uh, Mike Matheson had a bad groin, played on it, took a couple of games off, came back, hurt it again. So it's it's just, it's, injuries are going to happen, but the concern is that guys are coming back too soon from these injuries and getting injured again and, and missing more time than they would have if the original injury had just been taken care of properly. You know, Sean Monaghan broke his foot. If it had been put in a cast, four weeks maybe, it heals, he comes back, he plays the rest of the season. Brendan Gallagher had been shut down right away with a broken ankle. But they need to protect players from themselves. These guys want to play. Brendan Gallagher Brendan Gallagher would play if he had an arrow sticking out of his head. It's just they want to. But the, the medical team needs to learn or needs to be more aggressive with these guys and tell them, when they can't play. I was in Nashville uh, just around New Year's uh -huh. uh, and Brendan Gallagher was watching a practice and Brendan Gallagher went down really hard in the corner and he didn't get up. And when Brendan Gallagher doesn't get up, you know, he's hurt. And Graham Ryan came on the ice and, you know, they went back to the bench and he was, you could tell he was in really in a lot of pain. Uh -huh. He sat on the bench for five minutes and he came back and practiced. And then he played the next day in Nashville. And that was the last game he played. Like, why wasn't, and, and he, he told me that it was the ankle at the end of the season. He said it was the ankle that he had hurt again when he went down in Nashville. So Gallagher said he wanted to stay in that practice because they had got blown out New Year's Eve in Washington. I think it was 9-2, and it was sort of a, a punishment practice, and he wanted to be there with his teammates and go through it, which is typical Brendan Gallagher, team player. You understand why he wanted to do it. But you got to shut guys down. Like, why was it was a practice? Like, Brendan, go, you know, Go to the room, take it easy. We'll, and, and that's the problem is they just, yeah. they don't, the, the training staff doesn't seem to have the ability, the willingness. I don't know what the right word is to just tell guys, no, you're not playing. Yeah. And, you know and what that's is, something uh, I think that need, that's something you need to look at. And Brendan Gallagher said after the season, he's going to have to be more honest with the training staff yeah. moving forward. But the training staff has to make calls and they have to tell guys you can't play. Like Sean Monaghan had it. We, we saw him in Calgary. The first time we saw him, we showed up for the game with a cast on his foot. And we were like, I yeah. guess he's not playing. And then he played. He was doing interviews after the game with the cast back on his foot. And he played two or three more games like that. Yeah. At that point in the season, it didn't make any sense. But, Stu, I got to tell you something, okay? I understand why Sean Monaghan would want to play through an injury, okay? Mm -hmm. um, he's in the final year of his contract. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He's in the prime of his career as far as age is concerned. Unfortunately, not as far as health is concerned because he's been banged up over the past couple of years. This guy's looking for one more contract, maybe even two more contracts. All right. This guy's trying to cash in. So if he's hurt, it, it, it negatively affects his stock because he's been hurt over the past couple of years. Then he ends up getting the label of an injury prone player. He's not going to be able to make money. So he's thinking, I got to play through injury. Hopefully, you know what? He's probably thinking it's going to get better, but injuries don't get better when you play on them. He's hoping that he can put up numbers, and he's hoping that he can press other teams around the National Hockey League. It's but not right. It's not right, but that's what he's thinking. But what I'm getting at is I don't understand for the life of me, Stu, besides the fact that Brendan Gallagher is like one of the biggest gamers and one of the best competitors I've ever seen in my life. I don't understand for the life of me, Brendan Gallagher, who had four years left on a contract. It's a guaranteed contract. The Canadians are in a rebuild. They're not going to make the playoffs. Everybody knew that. By him trying to play through an injury, how many times 
that us members of the media, Stu, and fans, and hockey fans all over the world, watch the Canadians' games. Look at Gallagher laboring. Look at Gallagher having a hard time to keep up in the play, getting exposed when they're playing versus big-time skating teams, not knowing that he's playing through an injury and saying to ourselves, oh, my God, Gallagher's done. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... Yeah, well, Monaghan... I don't really think with Monaghan it was the, a financial thing. I mean, I understand why he wanted to play that game in Calgary. He spent, was it nine years or ten years, whatever it was in Calgary. Yeah. He had that game circled on his calendar. They went to Montreal. I understand why he wanted to play in that game. He had two assists in that game. Uh, Canadians won the game. I believe it was two to one. I understand. But shut him down after that. He played, I think it was three more games after that on the broken foot. Now, I can understand him saying the train stop. Look, this game in Calgary means so much to me. I need to play. I want to play it. You know, I'm going to play it. And... You know, I've been told other people there's a lot of hockey players who play through broken foot, broken feet. It's not, it's, it's quite common when you look at the shots that these guys take and that whatnot. And Gallagher had said that also. But with Monaghan, I, I just think it was, yes, I mean, he does want to play more, but now there's more injuries involved because he played through that. And, and with Gallagher, you're right. I mean, we watched Gallagher play and the effort's always there and he looked like he just didn't have it anymore. Uh, Gallagher will never tell you he's hurt, even when he's hurt. We try and get it out of him. He'll ne- he always says at the end of the season, I'll tell you. And at the end of the season, he told us that he broke his ankle twice. And he did the last seven, eight games of the season. He looked good, which is quite impressive considering that with the broken uh, the, the broken ankle, he couldn't ride a bike, he couldn't skate, he couldn't do any kind of cardiovascular training. And he looked pretty good the last the last six, seven, eight games that he played. Yeah. Um, but again, Brendan Gallagher is his own worst enemy in a lot of times. And he's, I think he's realized that. I think moving forward, he'll know that. He really does have a guaranteed contract. He has nothing to prove, but he's such a team guy. And the reason he wanted to stay in that practice in Nashville highlights that. Excuse me. Highlights that it was a, yeah. a grueling practice and he didn't want to bail on his teammates. He didn't want to take it off. And that's just so much about him as a character. But moving forward, I think the training staff has to have more of a say in just shutting guys down on whether they're. I hear you. Whether they're afraid to tell the players they can't play, whether they're just going by the player's word, whatever it is, they have to have a policy put in place where there's great. If, if Ryan Ben doesn't have the ability to do that, he needs to go to the GM and say, look, this guy really shouldn't play. Like Ben yeah. Gallagher, what he has, he really shouldn't play. And I yeah. don't know what the procedure is. The Canadians go through that. They're very secretive still about, they've become more transparent than they were, but they're still very secretive about injuries yeah. and what's going on. But they've just they've got to get a, a, a process from the medical staff to to Kent Hughes to Jeff Gordon to Marty St. Louis, how they decide and how they don't leave it up to the players to decide if they're yeah. going to play. All right. I'm going to say something, diff- uh, something that's difficult to say now, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right. Uh, but please understand Stu, obviously this is not coming from me. This is coming from someone very, very close to the situation. Um, someone very close to the situation. Let me just put it that way. Um, I- I'm never going to tell you, that you know some of the doctors probably don't know what they're doing because they're doctors <clears> and they, they studied for this and if they got that diploma and they got that certificate and they got that phd and all that stuff i guess they, they know what they're doing uh you know far from me to tell them that they don't know what they're doing when i went to dawson and i played cards all day and all <laughs> that. but someone very close to the situation told me when it comes to <laughs> trauma when it comes to trauma the Canadians doctors are known as the best doctors in the national hockey league, like the best. If there's a trauma situation and you know, it happens to a Canadians player, bless you, or it happens to a player on another team who's playing against the Canadians. 
uh, you're, you know, in your misfortune, you're pretty fortunate that you'll have the Canadians trauma doctors there who can go on the ice and can help you out. But in terms of injuries that are non-trauma related, when we're talking about injuries to, 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 you know, to whatever parts, bones, muscles, whatever you name it, that their medical department would probably need to modernize a little bit, put it that way. Yeah. That's what I was told from someone very close to the situation. Whether I said it's, you can't hockey players are known for playing through everything, right? They don't want, but it can't be left up to them anymore because the team has so much invested. I mean, by allowing Sean Monaghan to play, it might have cost the Canadians a first-round draft pick. But it's Stu, it's not always the players who are hiding injuries. There have been players, and you know this, and it ha- look, it happens yeah. with every team, okay? But you remember when Brian Jonta had an X-ray and and nothing came up, and then he played on a broken foot, and then they ended up doing another X-ray, like, I don't know, like three, four weeks later or whatever it is, and they noticed that there was a broken bone um there's been some misdiagnosis well, in the past it's not only the players fighting injuries shea weber went in for what was supposed to be a minor knee surgery and it turned out to be a very major surgery yeah and shea weber was also allowed to play i think it was 26 games he played on a broken foot which led to i was talking earlier about compensating which led to ankle issues which led to all basically led to the end of his career right remember he, he broke yeah. his foot i think it was the first game of the season uh, it was like four years ago, whatever it was, and he played 25 more games on a broken foot before he got shut down, left all kinds of problems, and you're right. Then he had that knee surgery. There was supposed to be a minor surgery, and Weber woke up from surgery and said, well, Shay, we got some bad news. Uh, it's not going to be uh, three weeks or a month. It's going to be you know half the season that he was going to miss. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, by the way, won, and they won big versus the New Jersey Devils, in case you missed it tonight. Uh, it was uh, pretty much a walk in the park for the Hurricanes, who won by a score of 5-1. to one. And with about three minutes left in period number one, Vegas leads Edmonton by a score of 2-1. to one. That, of course, right now live as of 10-22 Eastern Standard Time, because if you're going to watch us tomorrow already, you're going to know the scores by then. All right, okay? Uh, Carolina is a heck of a hockey team, man. They're a uh, good Carolina hockey. is a heck of a hockey team. I'll tell you this. Um, I know you had a chance to speak to Mike Matheson a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, and I had a chance to speak to him too. I uh, I spoke to him at St. Gabriel's Elementary School, and then about a week later or eight days later, whatever it was, uh, or maybe nine days later. Anyway, I had him on the podcast. But when I saw him at St. Gabriel's, I said to him, I said, um, uh, Mike, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup? And he looked at me, he said, he laughed, he said, I don't care. You know, I don't want nobody to win the Stanley Cup. And and I started laughing, and then I said, no, no, seriously, but between you and I, um, is there a team out there that you played against this year or you saw, and then you said to yourself, holy jumping, they're going to be really hard to beat. And he says, listen, Tony, uh, obviously Boston, but if I had to tell you another team, I would tell you Carolina. Yeah, they're big, said, they're fast, they're well coached. They're yeah. just a really good hockey team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he said, "Yeah, I'll tell you, Carolina." So it wouldn't surprise me either. It's it's funny because at one point in the season, my head told me Carolina, and then you know a couple of months later, my head told me the New York Rangers. And you're supposed to trust your first instincts. And man, do I look like an idiot for choosing the Rangers? Speaking of which, did you see Gerard Gallant today speak with members of the media? I didn't. What did he say? Oh, okay. So he was asked about 
you know, what do you make of the rumors that you're going to lose your job? And he didn't like the question still. And uh, he basically said, uh, you know, I read what's out there on social media, just like all of you. I'm hearing the rumors, just like all of you. I haven't spoken to the general manager yet. But for for me, a team that averages 108 points per season over the past couple of years, uh, to think that that would be thrown out the window and I'd lose my job after the two seasons we've had here, I'm really disappointed that this is even coming up. Yeah, I mean, his big stars didn't show up in the playoffs. That was what happened. They didn't score. No, they didn't. And and part of that's on Drury for probably tinkering with the chemistry. There's no doubt about it. Well, yeah. That, that's, you know, you make so many changes at trade deadlines and you bring in guys and similar thing with the Leafs. I mean, they got through the first round, but at first it didn't look uh, very good after that game one. But, uh, I mean, Jared Gallant, I saw his press conference uh, after the game when they were eliminated. And as he said, you know, we played just, we didn't score. I think, you know, yeah. scored two goals. They didn't score enough goals. And the Panarin and uh, Lafreniere and guys that are expected to score didn't score. And it's hard to win when your best guys aren't your best guys. Yeah, I'll put less of it on Lafreniere at 21 years old yeah. and probably in his fourth year, whatever it is. I'm going to put more on uh, on Panarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put more yeah. on Patrick Kane, and I'm going to put more on Tarasenko, the three veteran forwards on that team, as well as Kreider. But Kreider scored a share of goals. He had a very bad game seven, unfortunately for him. He was on the ice for like four goals against or whatever, yeah. all four goals against, which was unfortunate for him. But Stu, I'm going to tell you something. As much as it's all those players' fault, um, this is par for the co- uh, the course as far as coaching is concerned. A coach has to share in the responsibility uh, if his players don't play, don't show up, uh, don't play with any kind of motivation or drive. Part of that's on Gerard Gallant. You know? Well, I mean, the old saying, it's easier to fire one coach than replace 10 players, right? And, or five players or whatever it is. And um, I mean, But it's if Gerard Gallant gets fired, he won't be able to work for long. Um, I know, but he just, he has a hard time in the playoffs, man. As much as everyone, look, he's a Maritimer and he's probably mm-hmm. one of the nicest guys in the world. All Maritimers are, but, um, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of an old, he's, he's an old school type coach, but he's a player's coach too. Players who play for him usually yeah. really like him. Um, but I know what he was here in Montreal. It's just, players really liked him. He's, he's, uh, again, I mean, one of the great things about the playoffs, the NHL playoffs, is that they're so yeah. unpredictable. I mean, everybody, you know, the Bruins should have won the Stanley Cup this year, right? Judging by the regular season, they were so about 22 points ahead of the second-place team. Yeah. But it's been 10 years since a President's Cup winner won the Stanley Cup, and I think 86-87 was the first season they handed that trophy out, and only eight teams that won the regular season have won the playoffs. So one of the things that makes the NHL playoffs so great is they're so unpredictable. There's always a top seed going out in the first round, and it's a hard trophy to win. It's a, I think it's the hardest trophy in sports to win. It's a two-month tournament. You play every second night if you go the whole way, and upsets are going to happen. And as you're right, I mean, to me, are you going to judge the coach on 82 games, or are you going to judge him on six or seven games in the playoffs? And again, I mean, when, you're, when your top players aren't your top players, it's hard to win a short playoff series. Let's hear again from Jeff Molson. Et, euh, avant le début de la saison, puis j'ai, euh, le, le, les négociations euh, sont en bonne main avec Jeff et Kent. All right, there you have it. Um, Jeff Molson, when asked about Cole Caulfield's contract, he said, listen, um, it, the announcement can happen at any minute now. He says, I'm not going to tell you that it's happening today, 
but I'm going to tell you that it's obviously going to happen before next season. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence because it's it's obviously in, in Jeff's hands and in Kent's hands, and they're going to take care of it. Stu, uh, you know, I said this before. Some people got mad at me for whatever reason, right? I, yeah. I, 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 I had, you know, I was told, I was told that with the three weeks left in the season, that uh, Pat Brisson, um, Cole Caulfield, Kent Hughes, uh, Jeff Gordon, they spent one entire weekend with about three weeks left in the season. It was a Saturday for sure, maybe a little bit carried over into Sunday, that they were doing Zoom calls and stuff and, and back and forth, and there were negotiations that were going on. And someone whispered very close to the situation, someone whispered in my ear, the Canadians really want to announce this before the regular season is over. And uh, the regular season was over. I don't remember if the date was the 12th or the 13th. They played the Boston Bruins on a Thursday night, right? That was the end mm -hmm. of the regular season. And uh, as it turned out, of course, he's still not signed. And everyone's like, hey, Marinero, what happened to Cole Caulfield signing his contract extension? Folks, don't get mad at me. I mean, it's not my fault, okay? If I tell you that with three weeks left in the regular season that they were on Zoom calls all weekend and it was progressing. And if I tell you that someone very close to the situation told me that the Montreal Canadiens uh, wanted to announce it before the season was over, uh, that's a fact. Now, if it didn't get done, it didn't get done. Well, what do you want me to tell you? It's not my fault. Everything I've, happens. They take it out on me. I thought they would announce it uh, at the postmortem when uh, Gorton and Hughes met there the day after they were eliminated. I thought that would yeah. be the perfect. I mean, I'm sure they would have loved to announce it at that Correct, time. right, Stu? After the but season that they had, they wanted to leave the fans. They would have liked to leave. On an our season's goal, over, right? yeah. and here we are, and, and Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes come out to do their post-mortem news conference, and at the end or at the beginning, I would say, by the way, yeah. we have something to announce. Cole Caulfield is signed. They bring Cole Caulfield out. And it was Herb Zerkowski who asked Caulfield the question. I think it was the first question in the scrum uh, that day. He said, is there any uh, news on your contract, anything going on? He went, nope. But the way he said it, it was uh, like a, a disappointing, like a nope type of thing. It's going to get done. I believe what Molson says. I mean, I, I, I compare it to, you know, the Baltimore Ravens were negotiating with Lamar Jackson. And there was all yeah. these talks. It was bitter and it was this and it was that. And then when it got signed, uh, their GM said it was just business. You know, we wanted them. We were going to keep them. We love them. We want to keep them here. And it's just they want this. We want that. It's negotiation back and forth. So I, I believe what Jeff Molson says, that it's going to get done. Um, you know, there's there's term. Does does Cole want to sign for eight years? Does he want to bet on himself and sign a shorter term deal? I think it's going to be three or seven. If I had to guess and give yeah. you two years, it could be, it could be any amount of years up until eight years, right? But if you give me yeah. two guesses, I will tell you that it'll either go three or seven. You give me two guesses too. Well, the thing is, we'll it's play probably the tape and we'll be able to make fun of each other. It's it's probably going to be. I think it's going to come in around seven million a year for whatever the length is. And if I'm Cole Caulfield, I'm signing, like, it's guaranteed money in the NHL. It's not like the NFL where, you know, you sign a contract, you get hurt, you get cut, it doesn't count. If you're getting being offered seven years or eight years at $7 million, $56 million guaranteed. Yeah. He's had a shoulder injury already, had surgery on. He's a little guy. Yeah. Injuries are always a risk. It's $56 million you're guaranteed that you're getting. Um, I don't know if you make $56 million or if you make $76 million, if you hold, is, does your life really change that much? I'd love to be in that situation. I don't know. Uh, but when there's that much money on the table and you're a young guy at his age and you're going to probably get another contract after that, 
Yeah. Um, I would be leaning towards personally, or if it was my son, I'd be saying, you know, if they're giving you $56 million guaranteed on the table, I would take it. Yeah. But, but if your, if your agent's talking to you and your agent thinks you can get 76 instead of 56, if well, you sign that's right, short you get term, eight to 10 percent of that, exactly. Well, exactly. That, but for me, $20 million, more, probably six or 7%. It's a lot of money. There's still question marks about Kulikov. I mean, he couldn't score with Dominic Ducharme was coaching, and that's a lot of that's on coaching. But there's that's you know, still the players out there on the ice. Marty St. Louis been the best thing that happened for Cole. He was really good this season. He also got hurt uh, again. He's not a big guy. Injuries. If you're in management, management that's got to be a concern. Like, do we want to lock up with this guy for eight years with the you no know, the shoulder injury and whatnot and for him, and you know, uh, go back to PK Subban who bet on himself. He signed that two-year contract and then cashed in on it afterwards. And I admire a player for doing that, banking on himself. But in a physical sport like hockey, especially when you're a little guy, yeah, I would be if if there's long-term money, guaranteed money on the table, and it's around fifty-six million dollars in that range. I know I would be if, if I said if it was my son in that situation, I would be saying that's that's something that's pretty hard to turn down. Funny because you just brought up PK Subban's name, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, PK Subban, he had that contract of uh, the uh, eight years, seventy-two million dollars, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to take a look at cap friendly right now because I want to make sure. I just want to get the exact amount that PK Subban made over the course of his National Hockey League career. So he made. 70- what did he make the two? What did he make the when the contract before that, Tony? When he banked, when he bet on himself, I don't remember off the top of my head. No, so PK Subban made in his first three years eight hundred seventy-five thousand per year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then after that, he made he had a cap hit of um, uh, three point one and two point seven. His salary was two million the first year, three point seven five the second year. So his first contract was a total of just over two point three million. His second contract was a two-year deal, a total of five point seven five million dollars. And then his third contract was the uh, eight-year deal at $9 million a year. So he made a total of uh, $78,841,522. But here's the kicker now. You ready? Mm -hmm. He's going to make more money doing television than he did in the National Hockey League because um, Stephen A. Smith makes over $20 million a year. And I get it. He talks a little bit of everything, but mostly basketball and football pk suban uh is the next stephen a smith of television and uh espn is going to end up giving him big money and he'll be the highest paid hockey analyst ever he might go beyond hockey too i mean that personality can carry over yeah yeah no it definitely can and his personality fits in the same way that pk stood out in the locker room with his Burke personality and wasn't accepted by some people. And I imagine mm-hmm. it's a similar thing in hockey and uh, television. He's, he's, you know, you look at when he's on the panel there with Messi and the other guys, he's, he's a big personality again. And that big personality plays better sometimes in other sports, but he will be, uh, yeah, I mean, PK's PK will succeed at whatever he goes into. He's just, uh, you know, I've, we've talked about this before. I have a lot of respect for PK Subban. He's a really smart guy. He's a really charismatic guy. He knows how to sell himself. He knows how to sell his brand. And he'll, yeah, he'll make, I don't know if he'll make $9 million a year just as a hockey broadcaster because I don't know if the numbers are there television-wise. Uh, 
to, to pay for that. But if he can branch out and go beyond that, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's going to make, he's going to make a lot of money. PK, I mean, the reason I remember speaking with his agent, Donnie Meehan, uh, before last season. And he said, you know, PK still wants to play, but he doesn't want to just play anywhere. Like he doesn't want, he's not going to, if it's up to his terms, it's not necessarily money. Like he wants to play for a good team. He wants to have a chance to win. And if he doesn't get a contract offer that he likes, whether it's the location or the money, he's going to move on and do something else. And that's what he's done. Uh, Stu, always, uh, always a good time talking uh, with you. Uh, I'm getting um, getting a couple of comments here on YouTube Live, uh, Facebook Live. I'm not so sure that you saw this, but um, it's it's actually made its way uh, on the Daily Mail. It's made its way on uh, TMZ. It's made its way pretty much on every single website you can think of. Page six, list goes on and on. Um, hold on a second. Um, let me read it for you. Ex NHLer, uh, star PK Subban body shames Lizzo live on air. Did you see that? I saw you said something about a Lizzo sized lunch, I believe was the uh, I saw yeah. something earlier today. Yeah, he, he basically talked about the 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 uh, the Leafs are gonna have to uh pack their lunch after losing 4 2. Uh, and, and, uh, he then, uh, you know, he basically said, um, maybe they need to pack a Lizzo sized lunch and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to excuse the guy because, um, you know, it's, uh, he obviously made a mistake and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when you're in the media, um, everything's live, right, Stu? It's live. Well, it's live television. Live it's that- live radio. It's live podcasts. And sometimes you try and be funny, and yeah. not every joke goes over very well. I, I've been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think I ever shamed anybody's body. But um, take a look at uh, Jack Edwards. Right? What he said about yeah. um, was it was a uh, was it Patrick Pat- Maroon? Maroon? Yeah, yeah. And okay. it's there's a cancel culture out there, right? Looking for somebody to make a mistake like that. And you're right. I mean, PK try to be funny or something off the top of his head and uh, i'm sure in hindsight he regrets saying it and it'll be interesting to see what the fallout is from it but um now from being around pk a lot i mean he's not the guy who's intentionally trying to hurt someone or body shame someone and it's just uh you know it's, it's something he said off the top of his head trying to be funny trying to be cute and it, and it didn't yeah. work that way so it's it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is i mean i'm sure pk will apologize for it um, yeah it's, but it's, you're right when you're doing things live and you're you know we're talking now you're firing stuff off the top of your head and in this environment in this day and age you really do have to be careful uh and, and and think things before you say things and sometimes that can be difficult when you're doing a live studio or a live broadcast or a live radio show yeah and uh, pat maroon after that launched a campaign for uh anti-bullying and uh, body shaming and stuff like that right so yeah he turned, was, uh... pat maroon turned a negative into a positive there and um uh, you know, Jack Edwards was, it, it was, I, I'm trying to, it wasn't, he, he sort of went on about it. It wasn't like one little remark. He sort of continued on the, uh, on that theme. But um, again, for PK, I, I'm sure in hindsight, he regrets saying what he said. And it'll be interesting to see what the, what the follow comes from it. Yeah. So uh, Jack Edwards at the time, that was day one at training camp. 
Uh, he was listed at 238 pounds. I've got a feeling he's had a few more pizzas in between now and then. Intermittent fasting for Pat Maroon is like four hours without a meal. But, hey, three cups in a row. Who can argue with that formula? Obviously, he tried to be funny. It wasn't very funny. Anyway, speaking of Boston, because, uh, of course, Jack Edwards is the play-by-play guy for Bruins Hockey on Nesson. Guess what, Stu? I'm going to Boston next. So thank you very much, Stu. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Tony. Take care, bud. All right, I want to bring in a gentleman that I haven't talked to in a while. As a matter of fact, the last time I spoke with him was over a decade ago, and he was uh, back in the day. I think he was part of the afternoon show um, with with, uh, Felger and company uh, back on Sports Hub 98.5 out of Boston, and he's now one of the midday hosts along with uh, Zolak. It's uh, Mark Bertrand. A sports hub, 98.5 in Boston. Look at him. He's got the Mike Sock and everything. What a beauty this guy is. Why have you been ditching me? Why have you been dodging me? What's been going on with you? Why have you been dodging me? Hey, listen. When was it that I joined you guys on 98.5 Boston? It was back in the day where the Canadians actually used to be pretty decent. Play the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. The Canadians would finish about 20 points less than the Bruins. Play them in the playoffs and beat them every time. When was the last time I joined you guys on the air? Uh, I don't remember. I think it may have been 2012, but yeah. I remember when you came down to Boston, was that in the first round in 2011? I think it was. Yeah, but when, when I... When was the Pacioretty hit? When when did what? the Pacioretty-Chara incident happen? Ooh, when I hold on a second, but when I when I went down to I went down to Boston on a couple of occasions. Okay, uh, one of which though, uh, when I went into studio, did I ever go into studio with ninety eight point five? Because yes. I remember going into studio with another radio station. Patcheretti, Patcheretti was it the year the Bruins won the cup? Right, it was in twenty eleven. It Is happened all the same year. On, the 8th of March, I believe. And then the Canadians ended up playing the Bruins in the first round. Yeah. The Bruins ended up winning that series in seven games overtime. Subban had tied it up with about a minute and a half to go in regulation. And then Nathan Horton deflected a puck for the winner. Um, but uh, I was down in Boston. I, I, I went That's on. That's when you guys. came in studio. You came in studio the first round of the playoffs in 2011, which, as you just said, was a couple of months after the Pacioretty thing had happened. Yeah. Okay. So that all was right. all that year. That was the last time I saw you. How's, uh, how's my buddy Felger, who works the afternoon drive show in Boston, doing? Because, uh, you know, I, uh, I delivered the SmackDown on him, eh? Big time, like on a couple of occasions. My question to you is 10 years later, has he recuperated? <laughs> Uh, I think he has. I think he's been doing okay. Listen, it's pretty much the same. Now, we've moved studios twice since then, but it's pretty much the same group of people at the station. Maz is still there. Yeah. It's Felger and Maserati. I was on that show, and now I'm middays with Zolak, as you just said. So I have that effect on still people, there. by the way. I go in, I deliver the SmackDown, and then the <laughs> demons end up staying in studio that the producers and the and the and the bosses and the general managers yeah. and the, they feel we have to get out of here because Marinero has absolutely cursed this place. We just we need the rivalry to be rekindled. We need the Canadians to be in the mix again on a regular basis so that there can be that rivalry as great as it is. You're right. right. I mean, that's going to help for sure. But even at that, even with the Canadians stinking and the Boston Bruins being the best team in the regular season, I can still get you on the podcast tonight and I can mock the Boston Bruins for one of the biggest choke jobs, if not the biggest choke job in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking this week, not just about that, how it's one of the biggest choke jobs ever, but how it compares to other 
Bruins choke jobs, not all time. And I know we've had callers that have called us and said, don't forget 1971. Oh, and- 1971. They were up 5-1 versus the Montreal Canadiens, which I believe was game two. They end up losing 7-5. That game was played in Boston. Yes. That's the year the Boston Bruins had uh, 30-plus points more than the Canadians, I believe. I believe they had, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many 50-goal scorers they had and how many players they had over 100 points. I believe they scored 100 goals more than the Canadians in the regular season. Ken Dryden came in, he stood on his head, and the Canadians beat the Boston Bruins in seven games, game seven in Boston. The Canadians go on to win the Stanley Cup, of course, that year, naturally. Yes, yes. So that has been one that's been brought up. One of their collapses was 71. But I I just would like to keep it within this current era of Bruins, which is Chara and Bergeron and Krejci and Marchand. And if you want to include Rask in that, you could do that too. But just that era, the last 15 to 20 years, they have won so many regular season games. They yeah. have had so many good players that have stuck together for a long stretch of time that have been in the playoffs so many times. And they have on their resume, they've yeah. got this, which I think trumps all of them, right? This is number one. This is the worst thing that they've had. But they had 2019 when they lost at home in a game seven and didn't really show up against St. Louis and I felt, and a lot of people felt that they were a more talented team than St. Yeah. Louis, but they couldn't beat St. Louis. They had a game seven at home, and they didn't really show for that one. They had the 2010 series against the Flyers that they were up 3 0 and lost that year in 2010. They've got some pretty bad collapses. They've got three major epic, remember it for the rest of time collapses with this group, and they've got one cup. And it just feels like they should have had more, they should have won more than once. And you could say the same thing about that 70s group of Bruins with Espo yeah. and Orr, that they won it twice. And I think that group and some of those guys would tell you, uh, Derek Sanderson, I think he said something to the effect of like, you know, we should have probably won more, but they, you know, enjoyed enjoyed their free time a little bit too much maybe back then. And you could say the same thing about this era. They should have won more. They should have been yeah. better than what, the, what they ended up with. Hey, you remember speaking of uh, Bruins and speaking of collapses, um, you remember the article by Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe, April 19, 2004. I'm there. I'm in Boston. The Canadians had a much better regular season than the Boston Bruins. Game 7 is about to be played in Boston. On the morning of Game 7, all the members of the media, Boston and Montreal, are in the Boston Bruins locker room Joe Thornton's getting interviewed. The players are getting interviewed. I believe Thornton was getting interviewed, or maybe it wasn't him. They, they, I don't remember if they made him available that day or not. I should remember this, but I don't. But the article goes something like this. For the good of the team, Joe Thornton should surrender his C this morning as the Bruins captain. Truth is, the club's 24-year-old franchise player took one giant and curious step toward abdicating the prestigious position at 1.32 p.m. yesterday when he slinked out the back door of the club's dressing room to avoid addressing the media while some 30 reporters, cameramen, and videographers awaited his thoughts and words. Thornton exited stage left with less than 36 hours to go before his Bruins faced the Canadians tonight at the Fleet Center in Game 7 of their first-round playoff series. For the record, Thornton was well aware of the media's presence, no fewer than two club employees underscoring the obvious to him. It is important for the media and by extension untold thousands of fans and maybe the odd corporate sponsor or two to hear what he had to say. Thornton's response, a quick pivot out 
the back door. Anyway, long story short, he goes on to say that they should remove the C. And I remember being in that Boston Bruins locker room and the team was rattled. The veterans were rattled. And Mark, I called my buddies in Montreal and I said, guys, the Canadians are going to win this game seven tonight. <laughs> and they said, you think so? I said, guys, uh, bank the Canadians. The Bruins are rattled. And guess what? Joe Thornton had an awful game seven. Saku Koivu outplayed him again. And the Canadians eliminated the Boston Bruins. What a beautiful thing that was. Watching the Canadians eliminate the Bruins in Boston. I can never get an It's such a beautiful thing. I can't wait for the Canadians to be good again, Mark. I can't either. Listen, it's fun. It's far more fun when the Canadians are good. And this, this job could be far more fun. We could talk more frequently if the Canadians are good again. I, you know what? You I, can I, come I, on my show. I'll keep coming on your show. We can have fun again, Tony. That's what we need. But on... On uh, Jumbo Joe, I remember years later, Mike O'Connell came on our station with with Felger, and he admitted that when he traded Joe away, yeah, that it, it was basically because he thought, and the, you know, the debate about the return, the return wasn't great, but yeah, uh, what he said was basically, and I'm paraphrasing because these are my words and not his, but he basically said that he's a losing player, and that it didn't matter because they didn't think they were ever going to win with the guy. And wow. so they they had made the decision internally to move on from the player. So uh, whatever was going on there wasn't just being picked up on by the media. There were yeah. people in that front office that felt the exact same way. This is, uh, this is a great conversation thus far. I'm so happy that you and I have connected after so many years away. I don't know what we send each other the occasional text every now and then because we're big wrestling fans. Uh, and we talk about wrestling for whatever reason. We stopped talking about the Bruins and the Canadians. We've had a chance to reconnect now. It's pretty cool. For those of you watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Twitter Live, if you like what you're hearing, like it, share it with your friends. Comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. And if you're going to listen via Google, uh, uh, Apple or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love. All right, okay. The reason why I got you on tonight, besides the fact I wanted to mock your Boston Bruins for picking up 135 points in the regular season and blowing a series lead versus the Florida Panthers and getting eliminated on home ice again, I want to know. For those who unfortunately haven't been listening to Boston radio over the past couple of days, and the Sports Hub 98.5, by the way, I can mock them all I want. They do a great job, not only covering the Bruins, but covering all the Boston teams. It's sports radio at its finest. Do they have someone the caliber of a Tony Marinero? No, but it's very good. <laughs> but my buddy uh, Mark Bertrand is pretty close. Hey, Mark, uh, all kidding aside, what's been going on, Mark, in Boston? What do you guys have been talking about? Tell me. What have you been talking What's been the number, like besides the Bruins collapse, it, out of everything that, contributed to them losing to Florida. What's the number one thing that's that keeps on coming up? Well, the thing that I think people are talking about the most is, yeah. is Jim Montgomery as it relates to a few things, but the number one thing is the goalie rotation that they use so successfully in the regular season did not carry over into the playoffs. And in addition to that, Linus Allmark appeared to be hurt he was a game-time decision for Game 3. They went with him in Game 3. He continued to play through the end of Game 6, and he should have been sat down long before that, and it hurt the Bruins. The The goalie situation for the Bruins this year was such a point of strength for them, and to have it not carry over. We were debating prior to the playoffs beginning, should this carry over right away? Should they get through the first round with just Allmark? How should he handle it? 
And even if they had decided, which clearly they did, that they were going to try and ride Allmark as long as yeah. they could, they, they didn't pull the plug fast enough to wait all the way until game seven uh, hurt them in a major way. And in addition to all this, Allmark was hurt, it sounds like. I mean, he wouldn't admit it yesterday on yeah. breakup day when they all yeah. got together time, and put all this stuff in the, the trash Bruins, bag. Every time the Bruins get eliminated, all their players I heard. I, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it before. But I was excuses. they're all a bunch of divers. I'll tell you this though. I embellishment specialist. It's, it's it's no uh revisionist history for me because last Friday, ahead of game six, I said they've got to sit this guy down. He's hurt. They gotta put this guy down. I mean, you get get him off the ice, put Swayman in, Swayman's healthy, and they refused to do it. And then in that game, after three goals, four goals, they still didn't pull him off the ice. And so they they should have they should have benched him a lot sooner than they did. And I know what you're saying. The Bruins have all these injuries after the fact, uh, but Bergeron, Mark Bergeron. Yeah. You're a bad man. You're a bad Why? man. Because I ask you what you guys are talking about. Right away, you give a shot to Jim Montgomery. You want to know why? Because he's from Montreal. That's why you give a Montgomery shot. Montgomery is enemy number one in Boston this week. Oh, my God. You know Mon what? Montgomery is shouldering me. a lot of the blame. Give him to me. I'll take him. I'll you guys can you, you can have him. I'm, you can go right ahead. Uh, are you, are, hold on. A, are you serious to that point? I, I think I think that there are not a lot. I don't think it's the majority, but there are Bruins fans this week that are saying, "Is this guy the right coach moving forward?" You know for, what? You guys said the, you said the same thing about Cassidy. You got rid of a good coach. When I love Cassidy. I was fully. Still, I was completely against his firing. You should have never got rid of Cassidy. But having said that, you know. Listen, I'm not going to absolve Jim Montgomery here because he made his mistakes in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? When Bergeron and Krejci came, this is not a popular thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not the first time I say something unpopular, so I'll continue to be, to be myself. When Bergeron and Krejci came back, they were a worse hockey team. And there's a couple of things that happened. Number one, they were not 100%. They really weren't. I mean, you can tell, even though Bergeron scored a goal, Craig G scored a goal, they weren't 100%, number one. Number two, you know what I think happened? I think a lot of players on that team who were giving 100% without those guys, when they came back, they said, you know what, we can give 75% because these guys are going to give the extra. And, and, and I think that did them in. And obviously, look, I wouldn't have gone with the goalie change in game seven. Now, in game six, would I have pulled Olmark to put in Swayman? Yes, but in game seven, I wouldn't have changed my goalie because you. I think the message you have to send is if we're at our best and we play our best, we're better than Florida, we're going to win. So by pulling Olmark to make Swayman play game seven, I thought it sent a panic message throughout the room. But I look, I'm no coach. I'm just a guy, you know, with a microphone in front of me. Swayman was better in seven than Allmark had been in in five or six. So Allmark, if they, had, Allmark if, if they had, had benched Allmark games, they, and they lost all three. Yeah. If yeah, if they had benched Allmark in game six, they may have won that game and not coughed it up at the end the way that they did. If they had started Swayman in game six, they probably win the series. And so that move right there, that could have saved them. Yeah, And that's not to say the Bruins played well, because they didn't. They took a 3-1 series lead, and they were not playing their best hockey. They were not the best version of themselves. I don't think they played great hockey at any point in this series. I, I thought up 3-1, they were going to survive the first round. I didn't think there was any chance they were going to lose the series. But I think the feeling in Boston was, 
these guys are up 3-1 and they haven't even played all that well. Jim yeah. Montgomery, after game one, looked at it and said, I'd give my team a C- minus right now or C+, plus, whatever he said. He goes, they're wow. C grade. Yeah. We didn't play well and we got out of this with a win. And so I think there was a lot of confidence that they were going to win this series, even though they hadn't played their best and they were dealing with missing Bergeron at the start. And so Jim Montgomery's catching a lot of flack for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one of them is that he played everybody in the last game in Montreal. And so I disagree with that. That's a, I, what, no, that's a big mistake. That's I don't think it is. Mistake. I don't why think not? it is. And here's why. Because Tell Bergeron me. Bergeron came out and said, yeah. he said that he went to Montgomery, and this is before the game had even happened. So it's not, again, it's not going back. Yeah. He, he said to him, we've won the president's trophy before, and the yeah. end result hasn't been good. And we need to ramp up and be ready for the playoffs game one. We, yeah. we can't rest everybody the rest of the way. And they got a ton of rest over their yeah. last 10 guy, uh, ten games. They were sitting guys almost every single night. And so the, that final game, everybody played. Everybody I, I, was I, back I, in the lineup. And, and that was Bergeron, not Montgomery. Okay, and so, but here's the deal. I don't it, mind it. it. No, I mind it. And I'm going to tell you why. And I, I love Jim Montgomery, by the way. But I, I'm, at the same time, I'm going to say what I think, okay, for what it's worth. Who's coaching the team here? Patrice Bergeron or Jim Montgomery? Who's the coach? Ah, I think it's been Patrice Bergeron for a lot of this year. I think wow. Jim Montgomery has relied on Patrice Tumo. Bergeron to run this team. Whoa. Yes. But you, now you're taking away all the credit for Montgomery, too. You're going to give it all to Bergeron. Well, there, there are some things that Bergeron has not done, which is change the lines, as we've okay. done repeatedly in this series. That's not on Bergeron. Okay. Uh, so I, in terms of running the room over the yeah. course of the year and handling players, I think Patrice Bergeron has almost been an assistant coach on this team. Okay, so perfect. And maybe he will be going forward. So let me ask you. L I doubt it. I He's got too much money. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. You know what? Uh, Wayne Front Gretzky, office, Wayne team Gretzky's, president, something Wayne like Gretzky's that. He's got a lot of money. He's on television right now. You know what it's called? It's called passion and love of the game. Okay? So now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Yeah. Maybe he might be team president, you know, and or he might, you know. Be he might replace to, Cam. Watch uh, out for he, that. Or, or he might be next to Cam, right? So you have the yin and the yang. You have one guy who punches walls, sure. and you have the other guy who says, you know what, have a chamomile. All right. Um, if Patrice Bergeron would come to me and say, Coach, listen, we won the President's Trophy before. We need to get on a little bit of a roll here. We need to play everyone, all right? You know what I would say? I'd say, listen, Patrice, I respect your opinion a lot. And, um, but... I'm going to say we have to rest a couple of players and let's have a discussion about it. And he would say, no, no, I we shouldn't rest players because of this. And I would say, Patrice, what happens if you get hurt? What happens if Brad gets hurt? What happens if pasta gets hurt? What happens? Sounds like you're blaming your guy, Jim Montgomery. I think he made a mistake by dressing his entire team the last game of the regular season versus the Canadians. And I think another thing that happened with this group, and I'm far from it, okay? I'm detached. I'm in Montreal. They're in Boston. You're in Boston. You have a better feel of that team than I do. So you know what? And so I'm sure you have a, a better opinion on it. But I believe that they got caught up with their regular season and they put too much stake into the regular season and breaking the record. That's what I believe happened. I think that's one of the things that happened. Playing Fair. all the Patrice Bergeron got Fair. hurt in a meaningless game. He got hurt in a meaningless game. Who my cares response to that would to the Canes that game. 
but but my response would be would it make you feel better if he had been hurt a week before or he got hurt in the first five minutes of uh or the first 10 minutes of game but he, one but he, but he didn't though what's, he didn't he got difference? hurt the final game in montreal if he doesn't play that game he's not hurt at least their reasoning for playing in that game made some sense and by the way jim montgomery has not denied this i mean he's basically admitted that that he respected Bergeron, and that's why they went the way that they did. Mark, Mark, I don't think it makes sense, and I'm going to tell you why. The Boston Bruins, on paper, had by far the deepest team in the National Hockey League. I would agree. If they're healthy and they play their best hockey, it's their cup to lose. I know that the playoffs is a different season, but if the Boston Bruins were healthy and played their best hockey, it's their cup to lose. Instead, they got a key player, the guy who you say has been coaching the team most of the year and serves as an assistant coach on this team, Patrice Bergeron, he's yeah. out. And when he comes back, he's never really able to find his form. Well, and there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of reasons why they lost. Brad Marchand scores that goal in the breakaway. They win. Yeah. And he had it right there on a stick and he could have done that and they could have won the series. And, and, you know, so back to Montgomery though, some of the things he's getting heat for, uh, is that which you agree with. That was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, Switching up the lines, breaking up Bergeron and Marchand at one point, and that didn't go over well. I mean, that was the start of Game Five, yeah. and it didn't last long. But it led to a goal right out of the gate. David Pasternak looked lost during that time. Uh, he was changing the lines all the time. Uh, in Game Six, he benched Matt Matt Grizzly. Grizzly became the scratch. Clifton came in. Clifton was a disaster. Yeah, and and so that was a problem. He's catching heat for that. The goalie yeah. thing. Is something that I've mentioned. But, but are the players are the players taking any heat in Boston on ninety eight point five out of Boston? Yes. Is, because I'm going to tell yes. you something. I'm going to tell you something. You ready for this? I would take David Pasternak on my team any day of the year. Anyone who says they wouldn't is stupid. The guy scored sixty goals this year, sixty one, sure. whatever it was. Okay. Yes. Here's another truth. Are you ready? I'm ready for all kinds this of. This guy doesn't go into Tony. Traffic. I've been he's bashing a, this team all week, so nothing you a, tell me is going to offend he's me. A, he's a perimeter player. Sure. This but that's guy, okay. He doesn't get his nose dirty. and but, the, but it is okay. But in the playoffs, you need guys that get... Okay, hold on. Everyone knows that David Pasternak is a yeah. better... You know, has more talent, natural talent, than Matthew Kachuk. But in the first round of the playoffs, Matthew Kachuk was the beast, more so than Pasternak. Why? Because in the playoffs, the games are played a different way. Matthew Kachuk got his nose dirty, and David Pasternak did not. David Pasternak waited for Bobrovsky to spit out a rebound that he should have had about 20 feet out so he can pounce on a rebound, then jump into the glass and look like he's the hero. So when you're talking about Kachuk versus Pasternak, uh, it's a good debate because you can compare the salaries going forward and which guy would you rather have on your team for a playoff series. And, and my response was it doesn't have to be either or, but what the Bruins don't have is a guy like Kachuk who sort of sets a tone for them in a playoff series. That guy's but lacking. For them Bertuzzi, and, Bertuzzi and the top could be that guy. Bertuzzi could be that guy. I see something in him. He could. I don't think he's going to be here going forward. If they find a way to keep him and they find a way to, you know, to straighten out their cap situation to be able to have the dollars to do it, it would be great. But the problem is Mark, they have to keep him. That guy was born to be a Bruin. Listen to Tony Marinero for once. For once. He's of the of the unrestricted free agents, he's the guy that I would want to keep the most. I but the Bruins are so hard against it. They're going to have to trade some guys. They're going to have to move some salaries. That might come in the way of Allmark. That could I suggested last week. Maybe they have to look at trading a guy like Taylor Hall because they've got to free up the salary to do something. And I said last week, if you could trade Hall 
and keep Bertuzzi as a result, you should do it. And that got some people upset. But hey, just like you, Tony, I just yeah. tell it like it is, my friend. Good That's what I do. Like it is. I right, just tell him like it is. But here's the thing. In hey, this series, guys, whether it was. got a chance to talk to Cam Neely? Have you had a, and I ask you because you remember no. that. You remember the, so that he year. He stopped that, doing radio. He stopped doing radio. He said that. he. That right? he, he yeah, I, he I said he did not enjoy speaking with Felger, that it was not an, a pleasant experience and that he didn't want to do it anymore. And that was probably six years ago, seven years ago now. Wow. He's all I, done. I'm going to tell you something. In uh, what year was this? It's 2011. It's that year the Bruins won the cup. And I hate to keep on bringing it up because the fact that just remembering that they won the cup, it's like one of the worst nights of my life, right? One of the best, <laughs> nights, one of the best nights of my life was when the St. Louis Blues won they at the They burned Vancouver game. down when we did that. Yeah. One of the best nights of my life was when the uh, St. Louis Blues went to Boston. They played game seven and they beat the Boston Bruins in game seven. In Boston. Oh, my God. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. I'm telling you, I, I, I it brought back so many memories of Laura Branigan. Gloria, you're always on the run now, running after somebody. You got to get them somehow. I think you've got to slow down before you start to blow it. I think you're headed for a breakdown. So be careful not to show it. Sing with me, Bertrand. Sing with me. Gloria. Gloria. Bertrand, get the No, it's you really don't remember. Was it something that he said? Are the voices in your head calling Gloria? Gloria, don't you think you're falling? If everybody wants you. Why isn't anybody calling? You makes, don't have to answer. This makes sense that this is the sick podcast. You're a sick man. You know that? I am. I am. But that's why they came up with the name. It's a sick podcast You're because I'm a sick guy. Sick, I'm a sick host. Sick and man. It's, 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 but you you listen, this is a sick conversation. You know that, eh? You know that. Uh, yes. Wait till the folks over at 98.5 see you and I together. I'm telling you, it's it's going to be unbelievable. They're going to bring me in 100%. They're going to bring Everybody in. in 98.5 loves you. You really? know that? Eh? Everybody really? there loves yeah. you. Yes. Everything you we do in is, in, is in good. You guys going to bring me in? You want me to move to Boston or what? Hey, if you imagine, want to. Having, imagine having somebody like me, a Montreal Canadiens fan ever since I was like six and a half years old, move to Boston, work on Boston radio, and hammer the Bruins all day long. Now, that'd be enough to drive Cam Neely crazy. But here's my Neely story. In 2011, the Bruins were winning that final game seven by a score of three to two. P.K. Subban scored to tie up the game with about a minute and a half. I was on press box row, and... Um, Neely wasn't too far from me. I don't know if it happened right after the goal or it actually right at the end of regulation. It was at the end of regulation. Neely walked by the press box, got in the elevator. He was going straight down to the locker room, okay? When he walked by the press box, there was a big wall. Like, there was a pillar, okay? He slapped his He slapped the pillar with his hand. Boom! I'm telling you, press box roll shook. The building was shaking. I actually felt the building move a little bit, right? 
It's I felt the building move. The last time I was in a building and I felt it move a little bit, I was on my honeymoon in Cuba. I don't want to get into the details, <laughs> but I was very strong that Were night. you moving or was the building moving? Yeah, it's Cuba. always there. It's, 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 it's a little bit of both. But anyway. Details are hazy. Uh, so he hasn't been on the radio in how long? It's been, I think it's been six or seven years. Because every time he would come on, Felger would always try and what grill him, or he would always yeah, use yeah, he would grill him and he would uh, ask him uncomfortable questions and he would criticize him. You know, the thing is, so many guys, you know, he this would story. criticize There's... him too. He would criticize him, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would criticize him right to his face. He would tell wow. him the things that you know, and it wasn't uh, often in person, but on the phone. Uh, and a few times he did come to the studio and do it, and Felger never. You know, that's one of Felger's sort of calling cards. He doesn't back down to anybody. He sort of just uh good for him. Good for told him. him what he was thinking and all the same criticisms that he would have against him during the day on the show, he would say to him when he was on the phone with us. Good and for so, him. Good for yeah, him. And so Cam got sort of tired of that and said, You know what? I don't have to do this, so I'm not doing it anymore. And here's the thing though, here's the thing. I wasn't there. I don't believe in in being negative all the time and grilling somebody all the time. Okay, I believe that when criticism is is due, you give it. I believe when you have to tip your hat, you tip your hat. All right. So I'll say that I don't know when he was questioning when he wasn't, but I will say this: I do have a big appreciation for the fact that if he had something that he had to say, that he not only said it over the phone, he said it when he was there present. Because I've seen all too often. Uh, that, you know, uh, some radio hosts are a little bit more courageous when it's done over the phone than they are when it's done in person. For that, he has all my respect. Give him my regards, by the way. Give him I my absolutely regards. will. I will do yeah, that when I see him tomorrow. tomorrow. I will yeah. see him tomorrow. I see him almost every single day. So Is that we, right? Yeah. When I get off at 2, he's coming in the door at 2. So I get out of the seat and he takes it over. So you're tomorrow when you see him, you're going to say what? Tony Marinaro says hi. I'm going to say that Tony Marinaro says he is uh, sending his regards and he misses you very much. Yeah. Uh, Tony Marinaro says thoughts and prayers are with the Boston Bruins and their entire fan base during this very difficult Tease, time. T's and peace to Boston is what yeah. he said. I'm going to tell right. him that. All right. Okay. So if uh, have you guys taken a lot of calls about the Bruins, uh, uh, elimination? Uh, the two days, you know, Monday, Tuesday this week, yeah. not, not as much today, but Monday, Tuesday, we were Monday, especially there were, we have seven lines, seven phone lines for, okay. for callers. All seven lines were full for the four straight hours that I was on. And I think they were full for the next four when Felger was wow. on and we did it again well, they, yesterday. They, the, fan a lot base of really, the fan base really wanted the cup in Boston. They thought, and they probably thought with, yeah. with Bergeron probably set to retire, maybe even Krejci. This was the last hurrah, even though I believe the Boston Bruins have a lot of good young players going forward here. But those guys are going to be hard to replace. The good thing is everyone wants to work in Boston, right? So it's not going to be hard to attract unrestricted free agents, is it? If I mean, it shouldn't, but I don't know that they're going to have the ability to do it. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that are under contract, and they've got a lot of money tied up with not only the guys that are here, but all this bonus money. The way they structured Krejci and Bergeron this year is they pushed all their money into the upcoming year, whether they're on the roster or not. They're Oops. carrying money on the books for Krejci and Bergeron because they, they couldn't fit them under the cap this year, and they didn't make a lot of money, but they had to push it forward. Yeah. So they don't have a lot of cap space. I'm telling you, prime candidates, they're, they're, they're probably going to look at trading one of these two goalies, and 
I, I think they've got to find another player on the roster that they can move. Are they going to have the Are they going to have the courage to trade Linus Olmark after he's going to go out and win the win the Vesna next month? I mean, it makes it easier based on the playoff performance. I mean, based on the way that he looked, maybe they feel better about themselves and they could sell it to another team that he was hurt and he was dealing with whatever injury it was. Linus yeah. wouldn't say yesterday, but they could do that and they'd free up his money and they still have Swayman. Yeah. I mean, Swayman's a a restricted guy. He's going to make some money. So, you think this is it for Patrice Bergeron? Yes or no? Uh, if I had to bet on it today, I'd say, yes, he's done. And, you know, I listened to him yesterday and I heard him say that he wants to make the decision by July one. He wants to think about it the same way that he did last year. And then he added in something at the end that I, I thought felt different. And it was, if this is it, I know that I left everything out there on the ice. And I thought, okay, when you start saying things like that, yeah, that, that makes it feel like for him in his mind right now, it's a no, he's not going to play. And if he does, he will have had to have been uh, convinced by someone between now and July 1st that he should do it again. But having a herniated disc, that doesn't feel good. I'm no. sure right now it'd be very hard to convince him that he should keep doing this as he approaches age 38 this summer. And you, and you know what? This guy's gone through all the injuries. Remember, he had his fair share of concussion injuries as well. Then he, hauled, he had the collapsed lung. That play, Remember, he had the collapsed lung. He had lung. a broken rib, and then it, it punctured his lung. He had a collapsed lung from wow, it. That's unbelievable. But you know what? I get the feeling, Mark. I get the feeling that this guy, if it was up to him, this guy would play until he was 40 years old. I just get the feeling that retiring would not only be, it would be like, and it's easier to retire when you had the kind of career that he had. I mean, I mean, they, they broke a, a record with 135 points. He won one Stanley cup. He went to two other finals. He, he's been nominated for the Selkie trophy. I don't know how many times he 12 won straight it. straight years. He, he's he, a he finalist. Finalist he, again for 12 straight years. You there. know, he's gonna he's gonna go down as one of the best 200 foot players in the history of the National Hockey League. That 2003 draft is known as the deepest draft in the history of the National Hockey League. Patrice Bergeron was drafted by the Boston Bruins with the 45th pick overall. He's the best player in that draft. The deepest draft in the history of the National Hockey League. He's the best player in that draft. But I get the feeling what I was getting at is is that I almost get the feeling from the outside that it him wanting to retire or thinking about it last year is more of a family decision than it is his decision. I almost feel like he wants to do it more for his family than he does for him. I have no way of proving that. It's just, you get the feeling he loves the game so much. This guy would play forever. He's also been playing for two decades at this level. And, and you know what? I, if it weren't for his concussion history, yeah, I, I wonder if he would be, um, I wonder how I just would say this. I wonder how that weighs on him. Or how he considers yeah. that, because he does have a concussion history, and and we now know more than ever, guys that have had multiple concussions, and he's had some severe ones. You know what that means for you long term, and when you have kids and you're thinking about your future as as a parent, I mean, I wonder yeah. how that factors in. I know it would factor in for me if yeah. I were in his shoes. So you know, we're we're the same age basically, and we've got kids that are in the same. I just I think about what's it yeah. like being in his shoes right now. Yeah, I hear you. You want to know how much I enjoyed this conversation is that this podcast goes from 10 p.m. Eastern to 11 p.m. Eastern. It's 11.14 p.m., all right? So I, I'm not going to take advantage of the situation anymore because I have a feeling you're going to end up invoicing me, and I know how much you guys are paid in I'm, Boston. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford it. First one's free, gonna, baby. First, uh, first one's one, free. First one's free. Thank you. I want to so give you, you, I want to just give you a little taste, you know, so, Tony? I so, just want to give well, you a little something, a little something sweet. 
I'm going to tell you right now, I like what I'm tasting. I think we're going to end up doing this more often. So since the first one's free, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stay until 2.30 in the morning, okay? Great. <laughs> I'm on board. Good thing we're in the same time zone. Yeah, I know. You're right. Hey, uh, as much as I love, I really would love to continue this. Mark, I got to tell you something. I, uh, I've known you for a long time. Uh, it's not like uh, we text each other every day or we call each other every day. But um, the beauty of the relationship I think that we have is uh, even though we, uh, we took shots at each other, even though we poked fun at each other, even though we took shots at the city of Boston, you took shots at the city of Montreal, I took shots at the Bruins, you took shots at the Canadians, your buddy Felger did the same thing, your buddy Maserati did the same thing, your buddy Zolak did the same thing, guys on the other station did the same thing. We had a lot of fun is that I catch up with you and I reconnect with you after, unfortunately, way too long. And we, it looked like we didn't even skip a beat, all right? We just picked up where we left off. And, and that's the, the beauty of what we have going on. Um, you are very busy in Boston with the Sports Hub 98.5. Uh, you have climbed up through the ranks over the last uh, decade or so. I followed your career. You're now co-hosting with Zolak. You're hosting, co-hosting the midday show from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., once again, on the Sports Hub 98.5 in Boston, you can be seen on television. I believe it's NBC Sports Boston, is it not? That is correct, yes. Yeah, you can be seen there. When are you or When are you on exactly? I know it's around 10 o'clock at night, but are you a regular? Do you have fixed nights? Uh, so on uh, television right now, it's, yeah. it's sort of, it's you know, it can be any night of the week. A lot of Fridays. I'm there Fridays because during football season, they always want yeah. me there going into the weekend. So they want me previewing football weekends all the time. So I end up doing a lot of Fridays there. But yeah, uh, every day, 10 to 2, I'm on the air, both radio and TV for four hours a day. So uh, what do you edit? You know, it's not very often that I brag about being a New York Jets fan. I have been since the early 80s because they used to be on Channel 3, so we used to watch them all the time, right? So yes. Ken O'Brien and Freeman McNeil and uh, Klecko and Gastineau and Altoon and all those guys, and the list goes on and on. But uh, what do you think? You think we can win the division this upcoming season or what? Uh, I think you're a Super Bowl contender. And, you and, think, and, and Would Aaron yes. Rodgers be a Super Bowl contender already? Yes, right now. I, th- I think wow. you're. I mean, you're a, you're a contender to be there and be in that game. And when you have that quarterback, when listen, this is what the league has unfortunately sort of become. Are you, are you sure about this? Because yeah, he hasn't won a Super Bowl in a very long time with a lot of Packers teams better hey, than this Jets team. You're not. You're not giving your defense enough credit, Tony. Tony, that team last year was a good team. They lacked the quarterback piece. The court, even with my liked, I yeah, like but- Mike White a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, but did you see did you see the offense that he had in Green Bay in in previous years? Yes. Not last year, but like for four or five years before that? Yes. Pretty good offense that he had in Green Bay. So I yeah. I just think you're not giving the Jets defense the credit it deserves. That team has a lot of the pieces in place and now they drop the quarterback in. The the only question I would have is how invested he is and yeah. how much he, you know, is is sort of driven to prove doubters wrong, to prove the yeah. Packers wrong. All of that. And so as long as that piece is in place and he's motivated this year, that, that team is in the mix. And right. so the and the AFC East is ridiculous now outside yeah. of the Patriots. Yeah. You know, what? Wait, you know what? The sick podcast, by the way, there's 13, 12 or 13 different podcasts across North America. We don't have one in Boston yet. We do have one in New York. We have one in Tennessee. We have one in Arizona. We have one in Chicago. We have one in Pittsburgh. We have one. The list goes on and on. All right. We have one in Vegas. Um, 
I would, you know, I would imagine they're going to get you on every now and then when when their teams go up against the New England, New England Patriots. But I, w- I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. In ending, uh, I love what you brought to the show tonight. You added you added a lot of color. You added a lot of enthusiasm, and I could tell you love what you do for a living. I can feel it in your voice, and I can see it in your smile. How often uh, can you uh, can you do me this privilege next year? Can we uh, can we settle for? After every time the Canadians play the Bruins and uh, maybe on average once a month or whatever it is. Yeah, we're going to do, do the home and home. You're going to come on with me. I'm going to come on with you. You got yourself a deal. Thanks so much. Hey, give my regards to everyone at the Sports Hub 98.5 in Boston. And, uh, and I've hoped that they've had a chance to recover from the damage I inflicted on them, on a, on them over a decade ago. I think they're okay. They're okay. Good. I'm happy <laughs> I think to they're hear. okay. Hey, take care of yourself. Tony, right? thank you. Hey, he's Mark Bertrand of Sports Sub, the 90 of 98.5 out of Boston, uh, with Zolak uh, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Cheers, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, you too. All right, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show as much as I did. He's a cool guy. I like Mark Bertrand a lot. Uh, and uh, he's really done well for himself in Boston. And uh, and uh, once again, I thought he was uh, really, really good. Okay, uh, once again, uh, special thanks to um, Mike Cinquino, Sean Gerard over at Energy Transportation Group. Uh, special regards to Aldo Geloso, Ted Farace, and staff, and to Ali and Vito, Excel Moto. The number one place, the only place as far as I'm concerned, to buy a Piaggio or a Vespa scooter in Montreal, XLMoto.com. All right, okay. The New Jersey Devils fall by a score of 5-1 to one to the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 1. And as we speak right now, there is five minutes to go in period number two. Vegas leads the orders by a score of 3-2. to two. Edmonton is on the power play. It's a sick podcast. Weeknights, 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. And by the way, you know I usually go Monday to Thursday. I will let you know that for the next three Fridays, this Friday, next Friday, and the Friday after, I'm going to be in for Matthew O'Han. So for the next three Fridays, the sick podcast, tomorrow night, same time, same place. Leave us a five-star review on Google, Apple, or Spotify. If you like the show tonight, like it, share it with your friends. Message SICK, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. To you, my sick army. To you, my sick community. I love you. Back at Master Control, Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana. They're Cavallaro. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature.